So here's the question. How do active people in the Atlanta area stay pain-free and live the active, fulfilled life that they deserve at any age? This is the question, and this podcast is the answer. I'm Danny Matei, and welcome to the Active Atlanta Podcast. The Active Atlanta Podcast is sponsored by Athletes Potential. At Athletes Potential, we help active adults stay that way, pain-free and active doing the sports and activities that they love for life. We do this by working on four different areas. That's movement, nutrition, stress management, and sleep. When we optimize these four areas, you feel better, you move better, and you live better for life. Head to athletespotential.com to learn how we can help you stay active for life today. What is up, Atlanta? And welcome back to the Active Atlanta podcast. I'm your host, Doc Jake Swar. And today uh, I'm super excited because we have one of our very own on here, Megan Gillespie. She is uh, just an incredible person, guys. She has helped out so many people in the Atlanta area. It's her specialty. So she's a therapist who helps out with a number of different things, but really uh, she loves to specialize in anxiety and attachment. I'm super excited to dive into what that means exactly. I think uh, we were talking a little bit before the show, everyone kind of gets like what anxiety is and we all can use some help with that. Um, But attachment is something I'm really interested in talking more about uh, as well as some of the other things that she does. She's got an incredible background. um, She's, and I'm just excited to get her on the show. So without further ado, Megan, how are you? Good. How are you, Jake? I'm thrilled to be here. Oh my gosh. I'm doing well, you know? Um, So um, Sam, her husband, Sam is, uh, our, one of our new, uh, well, I guess, I guess you can still call him new. Uh, he's been with us for a while now. Um, yeah. but like, uh, he's one of our physical therapists that work with us crushes it. And, uh, when we were, uh, talking with him, uh, and bringing him on, he was telling us all about Megan. So, and this is and Megan, this has been a podcast. I've been excited to get going here for a while. I think it was like day one. He came on. I was like, I need to get your wife on the podcast. <laughs> Finally, here we are. <laughs> Yes. Well, and it's interesting, you know, we always talk about just that mind body connection and how, you know, like you said, one of my specialties is anxiety and I see it. It's so predominant with everyone right now, especially with COVID and it shows up in the body. And I'm sure you see that with, you know, patients you work with every day and what that means and how to address it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You know, it's, it's really interesting. Um, because I feel like a lot of times half of what I do is uh, help people in an, un, in an unofficial way, I guess, help people manage their anxiety around pain, you know, uh, and around injuries. And when we can kind of <laughs> calm that down, we can, we can help out a ton. I'll give an example here. It blew me away. I think this is like one of the strongest examples of what like your mind and how your mind can control like uh, what your body experiences where um, I was working with this patient. She literally came like she came in in like a wheelchair, right? And not because she wasn't, uh, she wasn't, uh, she had full functions of her legs. It's just her Achilles tendons of all things were in so much pain that it hurt her to walk. And mm. it was in both Achilles tendons. And she had been through like numerous MRIs, scans, uh, treatment facilities, uh, physical therapists, you name it, she's been to it. And it blew me away. Uh, you know, talking with her, I found out she's extremely type A. Um, very, very high demanding, uh, job and, um, just professional life and very successful in her professional life as well. But, um, man, when we started managing like her, 
um, I can't even say we managed her expert, her anxiety, but like when we just started talking about her anxiety and how that could be like leading to increased, like, uh, um, symptoms with her Achilles tendons, we started making a ton of headway. Like, man, we were doing farmer's carries up and down stairs. And mind <laughs> you, this is a girl who came in in a wheelchair and like, and then, uh, all of a sudden her uncle passed away uh, or somebody passed away. I can't remember exactly who, but it was somebody that was very close to her and her family. And, like a light switch, boom, all of her pain, all of her pain came right back. And it was, I was blown away at how much, like that was such a vivid example to me of how much, on um, how powerful the brain is as it relates to how our body perceives the environment around us. Absolutely. And it's funny that you said high achievers. So I, you know, m- almost all of my clients are high achievers with a little dash of perfectionism on the side and those expectations and all of the thoughts and the core beliefs around that. And so getting into the attachment piece, you know, how our brain initially wires. So when you, when the when my baby is first born, 25% of the brain is developed, right? Mm-hmm. So still has a ways to go. By the age of four, 90% of the brain is now developed. So those first few years are so critical in laying the foundation and the brain architecture. And the brain being a social organ, it, you know, that wiring happens through social interaction, primarily with your primary caregivers. And so the mirroring, you know, what happens with babies very early on helps lay that foundation. So for self-esteem, core beliefs, all of those things happen the first few years of life. So a lot of people, what a lot of people don't realize is that 95% of your day is spent in the subconscious mind, right? And that's formed from ages zero to seven. So those core beliefs you have about yourself, about who you are, about who other people are, about the world is all in the subconscious. And that can be really helpful uh, for efficiency. So that's what allows you to say, drive to work and not have to really pay attention or Mm. make a cup of coffee. It's not so great when your decisions are being made from your say, you know, five-year-old self, right? (laughs) And so it's helping people gain awareness into those core beliefs and those thought patterns and how they're driving their decision-making, their relationships, communication style, all of that and, and helping rewire. And we know through brain research and neuroscience that there is neuroplasticity, which means essentially no matter where you are today, you can rewire the brain and set new patterns in. So that's really where the deeper work is. Man. So, okay. So, uh, do you work predominantly with adults or you work predominantly with, uh, um, adolescents or kids or kind of a mix of both? So I work primarily now with adolescents and adults, uh, mostly adults. And a lot of that work is helping to see those patterns, like I said, and then how they are impacting the way they're connecting with others. So if you think about anxiety, let's say, You know, anxiety happens because we have all these negative thoughts around who I am. You know, am I enough? I'm not doing enough. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I said that. What does she think about me? All of those things. And that impacts the body. So when we get nervous, our body responds. So Mm -hmm. first, you know, our heart will start beating really fast. We'll start to sweat. Um, Our breath will start to quicken. And that sends signals that say, oh my gosh, I'm in danger. And -hmm. from there, the body sort of takes over and starts, you know, pumping out cortisol and all of these things. And we're in that state of fight or flight. Yeah, And really it's getting people, and I'm sure you see this with the work you do, getting people back into their bodies and soothing the body. So they're better able to connect and make better decisions. You know, 
connecting with someone on an authentic level is all about presence. Mm -hmm. And if you're stuck in your head and you're worried constantly, that takes you out of the present moment and you're not able to connect in the ways that you want. And really when you boil it down, what is it that people are wanting connection, you know, with friends, with their family, with their kids at work. And so it's helping people get the connection they want by staying in the present moment, by figuring out what is happening with my body, because with anxiety, it can feel scary because there's the anxiety itself. And then there's the thinking about anxiety. So your body starts to have all of these, you know, cascade of emotions and things going on and people start to panic and, oh my gosh, I'm the only person feeling this way. What's happening? Why can't I control this? And so it's kind of lifting the curtain and helping people understand what's going on in the body. And then what can you do about it? Yeah, man, that's wild. So like, um, okay. So if you were to, so say, so then if somebody comes in and Mm -hmm. they're, um, struggling with say anxiety, right. Or they're struggling with, um, being present in the moment, what are some, what are some fun techniques or some easy wins that you kind of give people, uh, to kind of like help bring them back into the moment. So like, uh, one thing that stuck with me, like forever in my life was, um, I was interviewing with this, uh, this company called text PTS or Texas physical therapy specialist down in uh, Austin. And I was working with like the owner of this company and, and you know, it's this massive company they do this other thing called evidence motion anyway. Um, super busy guy. And he said for him, there's this, it was almost like this one spot on his on like his, like the brick outside his front door that like he would touch did like, kind of like, like, he knows like, all right, I'm in, I'm with my family now. Like, this is my, this, it was like a physical uh, cue for him to be like, okay, I'm done with the other things. I'm here with my family to be present with them. Um, is that like a technique that you teach people or is there like other, like, what are some fun things that you do? There are so many techniques. Yeah. Um, So one, like you said, creating a boundary between work and home is really important for people. And there's lots of different ways to do that. Um, Another thing is breath work. And the reason Mm -hmm. that's really important is essentially you have three major parts of the brain and the logical, rational part of the brain goes offline when the amygdala starts to fire. So that kind of fire alarm in your brain that says dangers here. Right. And so a lot of times people try to logic their way out of stress and anxiety, and it's pretty much impossible because that part of the brain is offline. So really the first thing you want to do is soothe the body and get gain a sense of safety. And Mm -hmm. so breath work is really important for that. And I know people, you know, always hear that, like, take a deep breath, take a deep Mm. breath. And my mom being a therapist, I used to hear it all the time. And I never Mm. understood why, like, what is the deal with the breath? And the reason is that the breath is kind of the control center. So if you think about the way your breath works, you've got the inhale and the exhale. And this was a thing that I was like, oh, why didn't anybody explain this until later? Yeah. And it's kind of like the gas and the brake pedal, right? And so mm-hmm. your inhale is the gas and your brake pedal is that exhale. Oh, and nice. so if you want to, so you often see like weightlifters, you know, do that big, really quick inhale, the, right. Mm-hmm. And it's really, they're revving up their system. And so if you want energy to the body, you can do those quick inhales, right. Or yeah. that, that long. Now, if you're trying to slow down the body, 
instance, you know, stress and anxiety, you want a longer exhale. And Mm -hmm. oftentimes people don't tell you that. And so when I'll ask clients like, okay, take a deep breath, just to kind of assess where they are, they'll go, (gasps) right. Which is of course only going to fuel your anxiety, not help de-stress and soothe Mm -hmm. the body. So that's a big one. And really pairing the breath with anything is going to be important. So some people like things like yoga, some people do like they prefer to be outside. So maybe taking a walk, a run, something like that, and breathing while you're doing that. Some um, grounding is really important. You get both your vitamin D and putting your feet in the ground actually decreases inflammation in the body. Hmm. So there's lots of different ways you can do it. Another fun one I like is five, four, three, two, one. So like I said, with anxiety, you're in your head and out of the present moment. So this one helps bring you back into the present moment by using your five senses. So you can kind of mix it up depending on where you are. So for instance, um, so five, I usually do sight. So five things you see in the room and you want to do it in as much detail as possible. So colors, textures, just naming what it is you're seeing and really being present in the room Mm -hmm. Four might be four sounds you hear. And you really want to hear even like the teeny tiniest sound, like the air conditioner or a bird outside. Um, three smells. Once again, you can mix it up. Like if you're in a bakery, let's say maybe five would be smells. Cause you have so many, yeah. um, to touch, maybe it's the chair you're sitting on. It might be a texture of like a fuzzy blanket that you have wrapped around you. Yeah. Um, so you want to go through and do all five senses to really get you back into the present moment and out of your head. That's yeah. another fun one. Yeah. Oh man. I love that. Five, four, three, two, one. That's uh, I was thinking Usually about that. Like, people to remember. Yeah. I was like three smells, Would I be able to diso- or distinguish three smells. I feel like I'd have to like, you know, grab like a candle or like, you know, like, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. like I, I said, like, you can mix them up depending on where you are. Yeah. I'd be like, man, I mean, it smells like my house, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I like that a lot. And you know, what's interesting. I thought it's, I thought you brought up an interesting point earlier where you were talking about how really we all, we're all striving for connection. Um, but we are becoming increasingly distracted in our world. Um, re- you know, re- regardless of, and a big piece of that is, uh, you know, social media and the, and our access to the internet and always being available 24 seven, uh, via our, our computers in our pocket, or as, uh, somebody once described it to me as our digital leash, right? Like, um, do you find that, giving, having people put up barriers between them and technology has been helpful for helping like just a simple uh, way to decrease anxiety levels, just, or just form those deeper connections to help have some presence. Yes. uh, That's actually a great, great point. So absolutely. First of all, and one of the things I talk about with clients is learning how to manage your energy and get in tune with your body. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is we absorb the energy around us. So, you know, for instance, if you're around somebody who's really anxious, you all of a sudden kind of start to feel dysregulated or when you're around someone who's really angry. And so being cognizant and noticing what you're around and which environments really trigger your anxiety and where you feel really calm and present. I had a client who, um, talked about, she was like, you know, I don't know why I feel so anxious all of a sudden, you know, I'm doing my yoga. I'm doing my meditation. I don't really have any reason 
And I feel so anxious. And we talked about just the environment that we're in right now. Mm -hmm. You know, you think about on a global scale, there is so much stress, anxiety, anger, things going around that you're, we're just naturally absorbing. So thinking about how much of media, you know, when I'm listening to the news, some people, they're constant, even if you're just, you know, cooking in your kitchen, but you're constantly absorbing that in the background how that's affecting how you feel and your stress levels. Um, Another thing is thinking about putting barriers, like you said, putting some boundaries around social media and how available you are, turning off your notifications. Because for a lot of people that ding or that, you know, um, the lights on the phone, all of a sudden trigger. Yes. And so turning it off and making sure, you know, technology can be a great tool for social connection And it can also be a time suck. And, you know, you see a lot of that comparison mindset of, oh my gosh, this person has this, or this person's doing this and I'm not. And being really careful about how you're using social media. Yeah. Just kind of being aware of how you feel when you're on it. If you feel like you're constantly comparing, maybe put some limits around it. Maybe notice the types of people and accounts you're following and what that might be triggering in you. Yeah. Oh man, that's super. That's um, comparison. Comparison uh, syndrome is real, you know, yes. and <laughs> it's and it's hard not to. And, and like, even if it's like, and it doesn't even. I think what what uh, people misunderstand is like, it doesn't have to be like this super toxic like comparison. Like, oh man, this person's so much better than me. Look what all they're doing. It's just that constant ability to compare what you're doing in a moment compared to somebody else's can just be uh, mm-hmm. physically and mentally draining, you know. And on top of that. Uh, something that you said earlier uh, that kind of goes hand in hand with just being on a phone or just having constant access to technology, uh, like soothing your, being present with yourself and like knowing what your, what state your body is in, like, man, and I'm guilty of this. Like there's, there's times where I catch myself and I'm just like scrolling through the phone, my phone, cause there's, there's nothing else in the moment going on. And that's a, that's a great moment to kind of like just be present, you know, or just, or just be with your, or be in, in, inside yourself or, you know, like know where you're at and, and, and like within the, within your neuro state versus constantly masking that with stimulus from a phone, you know, or from social media or from other impulses. That's not your body. Well, and noticing your relationship with your phone or with others. So for instance, like you said, what you mentioned is very common. That feeling, I mean, you especially see it in uh, when you're in the elevator, right? Everybody pulls out oh, yeah. their phone. Oh, and yeah. That discomfort of, oh my gosh, what do I say? What do I do? This feels awkward. So noticing what is my relationship with myself? What is my relationship with others? What do I do or how do I respond in these awkward moments? Because really emotions aren't good or bad. They just are. And what's happening in our bodies is once again, just information, that's it. And we make it into more by making meaning of it saying, oh my gosh, it means this, or it means something terrible, or it's whatever. Your body is just constantly giving you information and trying to give you clues as to what you might need to do. So for instance, anxiety can be a good thing. So I see a lot of um, people in relationships, let's say, and it's a toxic relationship and they're 
their body is trying to tell them this is not a good choice at no, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. And they stay in the relationship and it gets to a point where they're seeing physical symptoms, illness, you know, inflammation, things like that, where the body is trying to scream out and say, Hey, we're off, you know, we're on the right or the wrong track. Yeah. And it's just listening to it and being able to discern what it means. But like you said, most people are so tuned out that they don't pay attention to those signs. Yeah, man, that's wild. Um, yeah, you know, that's interesting. I never thought about like, but it kind of makes sense too. like anxiety can be a, a good thing in the right dose, right? Like you said, um, it's neither good nor bad, but it's a good way to kind of like amp up your, your body to get ready for an event or, uh, to kind of heighten your senses or to, for sports. It's a great thing, uh, to in a certain, uh, in a good dose, right. As long as you're managing it appropriately. Um, yeah. Well, so, and it's looking at that, that fear-based center is just, you know, once again, triggering you and it can be a positive thing in a life yeah. or death situation, not so much in just your regular everyday life. <laughs> <laughs> not so much when you're just, yeah. If you're just in a constant state of, you know, it's, it, it's a lot like, um, it's a lot like what I talk about with exercise modalities, right? Like I was like, Oh, is CrossFit really bad for me? Like, no, not really. Like is running really bad for me? No, not really. Like nothing's neither good nor bad inherently. Like exercise is all man-made. It's just kind of like, how do you dose it? And how do you make sure that you are fitting it into your lifestyle appropriately to fit your goals and what you're looking to do? Um, so I feel like emotions and, and just, um, uh, symptoms like that can be it's the exact same thing. So, um, do you see, uh, another thing that I really want to talk about is like anxiety or not anxiety, sorry, attachment. And so do you mm-hmm. see a, a connection between like anxiety with attachment or attachment leading to anxiety, or I'm sure there's a, I'm sure there is, but like, what, what exactly do you mean when you, when you say like, I help people with attachment and, uh, yes. and how do you do that? Yeah. So, okay. So this is a big one and you're right. A lot of people are like, what is attachment? And attachment really refers to once again, that relationship with your primary caregivers and it can extend out. You can have quote unquote attachment wounds that come up later in life. But the idea is if the brain develops in relation to those primary caregivers, how you feel about yourself and how you learn to look at the world is all developed in those first few years. Now, this gets passed down and I'll explain kind of how, how we feel about emotions. We get, you know, pass on to our kids, so to speak. So for instance, if you have a caregiver who feels very uncomfortable in their own emotions, much less yours, and you've got a crying baby and they're trying to get that baby to stop, you know, and even older children, you'll see this like five-year-olds where mom's like, you know, I'll give you something to cry about. Right. Mm -hmm. And they just want to push down those emotions. They don't want to deal with them. And so what kids learn is that emotions are bad. And in order to stay close to my caregiver, now remember kind of going back to, we all want to be connected to others, right? And that starts from the very first day of life. And so we learn coping mechanisms to keep us close to others. And so we look to our caregivers to see what keeps me close and what pushes them away. And so we stop doing the things that push them away and we do the things that keep us close. Now with emotions, we can't, change emotion, so to speak. So for instance, if you feel sad, you feel sad. You can pretend you don't feel sad, but you still feel sad. Does that make sense? For sure. Yeah. And so when we develop coping styles that ignore emotion and ignore what's happening in our body, that can cause issues later down the line. So they did as 
um, an experiment called the strange situation where basically they took one-year-olds and they put them in kind of like a daycare situation where mom dropped them off. And depending on how they reacted, they kind of give, gave them an attachment style. So avoidant were ones who, um, you know, when they were dropped off, they didn't really care either way. Mm-hmm. You know, mom could be there, could not be there. didn't matter. Right. Anxious was um, mom left and they cried and couldn't be soothed and secure was, you know, they cried, they were upset and then they were fine. Yeah. These attachment styles later indicate kind of how you relate to others later on in life, how you communicate, um, how you feel in relationship to yourself. And so that can cause problems later on down the line um, when you're trying to be in relationship to say, you know, now you being an adult man with your wife, with your child and affects how you connect with others. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So then, um, that I've never thought of it that way. So, you know, in my mind, when you first, when you, when you mentioned something, I was like, man, that kind of sounds like, uh, what's that, what's that Disney movie, um, or Pixar movie. Oh man. What is it? Uh, where the, where like the emotions are like, you know, you're inside the girl's oh, head. Um, I know when you're talking about, and like, uh, she's yes. not allowed to feel sad. So then she starts feeling yes. detached and everything. Um, but anyway, uh-huh. like emotions are really important anyway. Um, so how does that, so walk me through it again. So then with somebody, so if you are working with like your different attachment points or like uh, attachment strategies or working through it out on, on your own, is that more of like a nature or a nurture type of thing? Like, do you have like, cause you said it was passed down. Like, is it passed down like during those first few years of life or do, mm-hmm. or like once you're a new infant, do you have some like innate um, emotional cueings or strategies in your, on your own? Or can you kind of break away from like what was kind of passed down to you from your parents in those first few years of, the, of life? So how secure attachment, once again, it happens through the interaction between the child and the parent. And so mm-hmm. a style quote unquote develops and, you know, you can fluctuate between different styles, but you usually have a primary one. So for instance, I'll give you a very common example. An anxious okay. attachment style would be, you know, you get very preoccupied in relationships and you're very nervous about the person leaving. So Mm -hmm. in a relationship, this might look like um, constantly texting all the time. Where are you? What are you doing? Things like that. Not trusting. Um, uh, Avoidant, you know, they call this the island. Those are the ones that are, I'm fine. I don't need anything. They like to have lots of space in relationships. Mm-hmm. Both of those can cause issues in relationships. And so later down the line, it, as an adult, the work for someone who's anxiously attached is to be able to self-soothe and feel okay on their own, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're they're essentially looking to the other person to soothe their nervous system. Mm. Right. And so they don't feel confident on their own and they don't feel confident self-soothing on their own. So there's constantly reaching out the, where are you? What are you doing? I need you. I need you. I need you. And that those strategies often leave the other person feeling suffocated. Yeah. The work for that person is that self-soothing. So learning strategies to soothe the body, kind of like we talked about, and those tend to show up as anxiety. Um, You kind of asked, you initially asked, what is the link between attachment and anxiety? Yeah, for sure. Uh, So that's a big one. And that's what I see often in therapy. Mm -hmm. Avoidant are those that feel uncomfortable in relationship with another. So those are people who tend to feel... Um, they're worried about giving up their freedom in a relationship. 
So they often need lots and lots of distance. They have trouble with vulnerability. They have trouble opening up. And so for those people, it's the opposite work. They're working on feeling safe in relationship and learning to tune in, connect, notice some of those nuanced um, nonverbal signals like facial expressions, things like that, and tuning into emotion as opposed to wanting to run away. Yeah, man. Yeah. So I like, um, obviously attachment works in both directions where it's uh, too attached and then detached as well. You know, Um, (laughs) do you see one more than the other? Is it pretty, pretty 50, 50 in terms of like, uh, which ones people tend to lean more towards? Um, So as far as percentage wise, it's a pretty decent split. I tend to see more anxiously attached in therapy mm-hmm. um, because once again, avoidant, it's not that they don't go to therapy, but typically they feel pretty self-sufficient and don't, you know, don't always want help. And so I don't see that one as often in therapy, but as far as in the population, there's about 25 to 30% of the population would go in either direction. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um yeah. If they're feeling detached, feel like they don't need, or not detached, but feel like they don't need, um, they don't, they don't want to be, feel vulnerable. It doesn't make sense for them to go to therapy at that point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Usually with avoided, it tends to be their partner that wants them to go to therapy. Yeah, that's fair. Do you, do you do a lot of like, like couple, uh, therapy and like trying to figure like trying to help both sides of the coin at the same time? Yes. So I have, I do have Gottman level one and level two certification, which is essentially just, you know, um, training to work with couples. And so I do work with couples, not as much anymore. Typically now, most of my work is one-on-one, but yes, it is fascinating when you get both in the room. (laughs) And I can only imagine, you know, like (laughs) I could, uh, it's almost like becoming a referee at that point. That's I'm sure in certain situations, you know? Um, well, that's cool. So then, okay. So um, what would be like a successful outcome of helping somebody with, um, some form of attachment issue? And like, is it, is that like, um, is that like an ongoing, uh, like once you know, you have this certain like attachment, like emotional level that like, man, this is like me forever. Or is that like, uh, or like what you were talking about, how like you can kind of change like, uh, like how your brain processes information and like how uh, your body processes stimulus. Like, is that, is that, uh, plastic in a way, or is that, is that pretty set in stone? No, it's definitely plastic. It is one of those things that, and one thing I think that's really important for people to understand is, and I mean, I'm sure you see this with the work that you do as well, is that people develop patterns over time, right? It takes a long time to set a pattern in and it takes experiences over and over and over to set that. And so it takes time and different experiences to rewire that. So it's not like one of those things where, you know, you can press a button and it magically just disappears and we're great again. However, it can absolutely be changed. And so, you know, whatever your dynamic might be, it's moving into that and, and, you know, experiencing it differently. So for instance, with anxiety, one thing I often see is people will avoid the triggers for anxiety, and that can be good in some instances, not so great in others. So let's take someone who gets really nervous, public speaking, right? To get over that anxiety, because anxiety is essentially the idea that I don't have the skill set to succeed at whatever it is I need to succeed at. So for instance, public speaking, I don't feel like I have the skills to walk in there and do it. And I don't know how to calm myself in those moments. And so it's being able to give the person skills and then still 
um, help them move into those situations that cause anxiety and work through it. So we don't ingrain that pattern of, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. So Mm -hmm. now we want to walk into that same experience and show the person, okay, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it and kind of develop that muscle. Yeah, man. Yeah. That's awesome stuff. So then if somebody, so, okay. So, uh, admittedly, um, I'm kind of sad, honestly, like I've never, I've never worked with a therapist before. So, um, at least not in my adult life. Um, <laughs> so like, how does that work? So if I wanted to like, I'm like, man, Megan sounds like she really knows her stuff. And like, so, like, sounds like something I'd be able, like, I really need help with my anxiety or, or whatever the case may be. Um, what would an appointment look like for you? Or what, what does that like initial like process look like? Yeah. So, you know, the first step is just reaching out and finding someone that really matches your energy and you feel comfortable with. Because of course, Mm -hmm. if you're going to disclose all of the nitty gritty details of your life, you really want to feel comfortable with that person. Um, So for me personally, I always do a 15 minute phone call. You know, they'll reach out through my website, MeganGillespie.com. And we'll do a quick 15 minute phone call to kind of see what you're looking for and just see if it feels like a good fit. Um, And then the next step is an initial intake and just kind of getting a history and idea of, you know, what you're dealing with um, and just, you know, once again, a history of your whole life story of what's going on. So I can kind of conceptualize and assess where we might need to fill the gaps. And then there we just have our, you know, typical 50 minute appointments and we dive in. Yeah, that's awesome. (laughs) It's like, uh, it's like Ted Lasso, right? Like, uh, do you, do you feel like people like they're reaching when they reach out for help? There's like a little bit of a barrier sometimes that you gotta like, be like, okay, uh, this store, there's, there's a, there's a wall here. There's a blank spot that, that needs filled in. Yeah. You know, I think for a lot of people, it's that first step is trust and just establishing that relationship. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot comes up in therapy with the dynamics, because whatever, you know, you think about relationships, um, you know, if you have trust issues, if you have boundary issues, if you have whatever it happens to be will come up in the therapy relationship. So it's working through those things as we go um, is really helpful. Yeah, that's awesome. So, okay. So Megan, uh, Megan Gillespie dot or Gillespie, Gillespie, mm-hmm. Gillespie. <laughs> and I'm so bad at that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's okay. So yeah, Megan Gillespie.com. And yeah. I've actually got, um, two groups opening up for women in January right now. I am totally booked and I have people reaching out constantly. So I'm opening up some groups so we can get some more people in, um, to, to work on some of this stuff. What are the groups? So I have, you know, once again, working with anxiety and attachment, and one is specifically more geared more towards moms, mm-hmm. um, developing that secure attachment with their own children, and then also kind of dealing with what's coming up for them. I know one of the most common things I hear is juggling everything between work and home and kids and just finding that balance and managing the stress that comes with that. Um, and once again, developing that secure attachment with your child starts with presence. And so helping moms, you know, balance all of these things and learn some tools to, to help them be present in all of those relationships that are so important to them. So one is geared more towards moms. And then the other is geared more towards singles or people without children. So obviously the focus is a little bit different, but awesome. And that's all on your website. Yeah. It's coming in January. And then is that all on your website as well? Yes. 
Awesome. Yes, you can find that all on my website at megangillespie.com. And then you can find me on Instagram at Megan E. Gillespie. Awesome, man. I was so excited for this, for this, uh, for this zoom call here, this podcast episode, yeah. and you definitely <laughs> did not disappoint. I learned so much in this episode. I'm definitely gonna be using that five, four, three, two, one method, uh, throughout my life. And, uh, I'm sure I hope, uh, my, our listeners here kind of, uh, had their pens ready. Cause there's a lot of information here, Megan. I thank you so much. Yes. I know there's a lot, but hopefully we are able to break it down a little bit, at least, right. Give you a little taste. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I was gonna say, there's so much more to unpack, but yes, yeah. at least a sneak peek. Awesome. Well, Megan, thank you. I know you're busy. Uh, thank you so much for your time and uh, I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. If you want to find out more about our guests or about Athletes Potential and how we can help you continue to be active and pain-free in life, head over to athletespotential.com to learn more.